Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Bible and Me podcast. In this episode, Nigel Watts talks to Arthur White, a powerlifting world champion, record breaker and successful businessman, about the struggles of his former lifestyle without God and the cold March morning that changed all that around. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals speaking and may not represent the views of Precept Ministries UK. We hope and pray that this podcast will bless you in your walk of faith. If it does, leave us a rating or review and subscribe for more podcasts every Friday. And now, without further ado, here's the podcast. Well, I am thrilled to uh, be welcoming Arthur White to the Bible with Me podcast today. Arthur is probably best known for his incredible exploits as a powerlifter and also for his strong Christian faith. Arthur grew up in a council estate in Essex, uh, one of four children, left school without much education. And after a carpentry apprentice, he built a very successful business in the construction industry. Alongside his business, he competed nationally and internationally as a powerlifter for some 30 years in all. He has won nine British, six European and four world powerlifting titles, breaking some 100 records. And he appeared in the Guinness Book of Records between 1982 and 1996. Although he had everything a man could want, his craving for more soon led him down a path which ended his business career, his marriage and nearly his life. Arthur. Thank you so much for coming on the programme. My pleasure. Arthur, what was life like for you growing up? I mean, did you grow up in a Christian home? Uh, who was Jesus to you growing up? Uh, I was, wasn't brought up in a Christian home uh, at school many years ago. So we're talking of half a century ago now. Um, we had RE lessons. Jesus meant absolutely nothing to me. Um, as I say, I never uh, I didn't go to church I wasn't brought up as a Christian. Mum and dad were lovely people. They would always say, like many people did then, oh, I'm C of E. And and that's all I understood. So I had no knowledge uh, of church, no knowledge of God, no knowledge of Jesus at all. Goodness me. So so what age did you leave school and then then what happened? I left school. I I did actually do an extended course, one year. Um, I went to a secondary modern school, as you've said, Uh, I'm one of four kids. Uh, There was no uh, privileges or anything special in our family, but I left school probably 16 years old. Uh, I started an apprenticeship as a carpenter, which I loved doing. And um, when I think... Was your dad a carpenter? No, my my dad wasn't. Dad was uh, in the war. Dad was... uh, I don't suppose dad had a trade, really. He came out of the war and then worked as a commissionaire. So dad was like a messenger uh, in the city of London. Okay. Um, Dad actually wasn't that practical. My mum was very practical. She could make and do anything. Uh, And I suppose it was her talents that I got. And uh, I loved doing carpentry work. I enjoyed uh, working in the building industry and that's where I stayed. Really? So you obviously, you you were an apprentice, you learnt your trade um, and then you started uh, your own, uh, set up your own business. Yeah, when I finished my apprenticeship back in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, there was a boom in the building industry, certainly where I lived. And I come from Essex originally, uh, just outside London. My roots are in the east end of London, um, but I lived in Essex and uh, there was a boom in the building industry then. Uh, and so I thought, well, I'd sooner work for myself than work for someone else. 
Uh, and I built a business off the back of that boom and I built a successful business. I had 50 men working for me directly on the cards. I had a subcontract forced. I think maximum was 250. And I was turning over a few million quid, uh, which wasn't bad in the early 80s, mid 80s. So, uh, yeah, life was pretty good. I worked hard. Uh, you know, it was seven days a week, really. Um, and so no, no uh, church on Sunday for you at that stage. Definitely no <laughs> church on Sundays for me. And uh, I worked hard and I was successful at it. And what was it like being a successful businessman? Well, I got everything that you get out of success. I had a big house in Essex. I had a villa in Spain. Uh, I had a nice XJ Jag when they first come out. Um, my wife had a sports car. Uh, I had a few quid in the bank. I weren't doing bad for a kid <laughs> off of a council estate. Amazing. Now, how did you get involved in powerlifting then? Well, as a kid, I loved sport. Uh, at school, I, I did everything. I did football. Uh, I did athletics. Uh, I just loved sport. And um, I just think it was a natural progression. My PE teacher, I remember very well, he said to me, "What you could do with building up a little bit, start training with some weights. Uh, I found a youth club that did weights. Uh, that guy from the youth club took me to a gym, took me to another gym, and I really just wanted to be another Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I started training with weights, then the weight bug bit me. Really? I found so that I had good strength, good mechanics for powerlifting, and right. it was a natural progression were you, for me. So were you quite thin and sort of... I was lean uh, and, and muscular, um, but I was strong, naturally strong. Okay. And I, I must have been as, as a kid as well. And there's certain things uh, kinetically, mechanically, um, that makes one person stronger uh, than another. Yes. Uh, and I had those attributes, so powerlifting become quite good, quite natural to me. So how often were you doing that alongside your business centre? I was training probably every other day. Right. So I would have, I'd, I'd train Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So I'd always have a day rest in between. Okay. But I trained every other day. Okay. And then you started doing competitions, did you? Um, yeah, I, I, I didn't uh, start out to compete. Yeah. But again, I found that I was uh, quite strong. So I started to compete. My first competition was in 1976. Uh, and then I retired in 2006 at the age of 56. Cool. So uh, I started to compete uh, locally, uh, divisionally, uh, and then I qualified for the British Championships. Um, I won that eventually, then I qualified for the World Championships. Uh, my first World Championships I got a bronze medal at. Uh, then my first European Championships I got a silver medal. Uh, and from there on I wanted to be uh, the world champion. I wanted the best. Really? So what drove you to achieve the heights of the success that you had. I mean, you won nine British, six European, four world powerlifting titles, breaking numerous What What was it that was driving you to do that? Well, I, I think uh, like most um, athletes, sportsmen, uh, they always want to perform better. If it's a footballer, he wants to try and learn a new trick, try and kick a little bit further. If it's an athlete, he wants to run faster, jump further. I think it's just something built in. I suppose if you wanted to psychoanalyze a sportsman, um, there's probably a bit of fear in there as well. Uh, the fear of losing makes you drive on. And, and, and I wanted to just to be the best, really. And you ended up? Being the best. I ended up being a world champion, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be ranked there 
yeah, with with quite a few of the top powerlifters. Yeah. Really? And what was that like? Once you'd achieved that. Well, again, it, it's quite strange. Uh, I can remember going to a European Championships, um, and I was there as European champion, uh, so I'm favourite to win again. Um, but no, you know, I, I remember walking down the stairs and I was crying because there was uh, fear comes into it. Then you don't want to lose what you've got. You don't want to lose. Um, and, and I think part of that was what drove me on as well. But uh, I, I enjoyed the sport, I enjoyed the comp competition. I enjoyed competition more than I enjoyed training. I was, a, I was a good competitor. Even if my training hadn't gone too well, I could still pull it out the bag on the day. It was just one of them things. I loved competition, I thrived on it. Yeah, amazing. So, so you're a champion powerlifter, you're running a successful business, you're married, you've got two kids. Yep, yep. What could possibly go wrong? No, I, I suppose, materialistically speaking, I had everything that you'd want in life. As you said, I had a, a, a lovely marriage, two beautiful kids. Um, my wife and I, we met at 13. We was engaged at 17. We was married at 19. We worked together, grew up together, had a lovely home, house, um, a successful business, as you've already said, and as, as we've spoken, uh, had a successful sporting career. So I had everything that you would want. But it wasn't enough, I think. There was always something more I was looking for. Um, and eventually, um, I got involved in the taking of drugs. I was working hard, training hard. Um, I needed a, a little bit of a boost at times. And so I started taking amphetamines. Uh, that led me into sulf. Sulf led me into cocaine. Um, and I had a cocaine addiction that basically nearly destroyed my life. Now... Um, I wasn't the man I once was. I wasn't thinking normally. I wasn't thinking logically. I wasn't thinking sensibly. Um, I had an adulterous affair with a younger woman. I left my wife, deserted my children. Mm. I lost my business, my homes, my cars, my money. Uh, in four years of madness, uh, I lost everything I'd ever worked for. I thought I was in control, and yet my life was out of control. And um, there was a time... And, and I can say this uh, categorically, I can say it uh, without hesitant, really, that there was a time when my life was close to ending. A doctor told me that if I continued with my drug addiction, I would die. My drug addiction led me into bouts of depression, which isn't a nice illness. Uh, and I tried to take my own life on a number of occasions. I tried to cut my own throat, crash the car, overdose, and I tried to drown myself. And I was now living a violent life fueled by drugs. And I was making enemies in and around the East End of London. I lost my business. As I said, I started to run an illegal debt collecting business. I was working as a nightclub bouncer. I thought I was uh, infallible. I thought I couldn't, I was 17 and a half stone, world powerlifting champion. I'm fueled on drugs. I thought no one could touch me, no one could come near me, but I was making enemies uh, and there was a number of men that were going to take my life. So when I say that my life was close to ending, uh, I'm not exaggerating on it. My life was close. It was that close. And um, that was now the change of my life. From once being just a kid off of a council estate who'd worked hard, who had all the success from that work, 
Um, I was a father, a husband, a businessman, a sportsman. Um, I'm now, as I say, working as a nightclub doorman, an illegal debt collector, fighting every day almost. And uh, Living on your own, I guess? I was living on my own. I was living in a bed sit in the east end of London. It wasn't very pleasant. And uh, I once had a lovely four-bedroom house. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, life was uh, very dark, very violent. And uh, for me, I could only see one way out, and that was death. And what happened? I didn't have many sane moments. I had what my wife and I call four years of madness. I left my wife in 89, and uh, we was apart for four years. Mm. And in one of those sane moments, I actually went to see a, a drug counsellor. And this drug counsellor happened to be a Christian. As I said earlier, I knew nothing about God, didn't go to church. Um, but I wanted to get out of the life I was living. I wanted to get off the drugs, uh, try and get some normality back in my life, trying to get my life back in order. This Christian man never patronised me. He never spoke down to me. Um, he just said to me after speaking for about half an hour, an hour, he said, you need to choose. And it stuck with me and it stuck with me ever since. And I had some serious choices to make what to do in my life. And um, on a freezing cold March morning in the East End of London, I'd been debt collecting. I remember standing there, um, there was ice on the van. I was 42 years old. I wasn't a kid. I wasn't a juvenile delinquent. I didn't come from a busted home or anything like that. As I said, it was a working class family. We had nothing, but I had a family and a loving father and mother. And I remember standing there thinking, what a mess my life was in. What a mug I am. And I just looked up in the sky and I said, you know what? If there's such a thing as a God, come and sort me out. That's all I said. Now, there was no booming voice, no choir of angels. The Evans didn't open, that's for sure. And I wanted that to happen, though, but it didn't. But something did happen inside of me. As strong and as tough as I thought I was, I actually lived a life of fear and paranoia. For four years, I slept with a knife under my pillow. I used to carry a, a, 40, a 38 Beretta in my pocket. Wherever I went, wherever I was with, I was paranoid who was going to come through the door. At night, I barricaded my own door up in case someone come through that. And I just lived a life of fear and paranoia. And that fear and that paranoia left me. That moment, I cried out to God. So that was one of the things I had to choose. I had to choose to do something. I called on God to come into my life not really understanding what was going on. And I wasn't in a church. I wasn't with some nice people telling me about Jesus and telling me about God and everything else. This man just said, you need to choose. And once I'd made that conscious decision to call on God, I knew then I had to make a conscious effort to do something about it. So I started to go to church I started to pray, I started to read my Bible, and then my life started to change. And I've often said that whether people believe 
uh, in God or not is, so as far as I'm concerned, is, is irrelevant. What people can't do is argue the truth of my life. And the truth of my life is that from that moment I cried out to God, my life started to change. Wow. <laughs> so just to go back a second, so what was the choice that this person gave you? What did he say to you? Well, he, he, he's, he said you just need to choose what you want to do with your life. Right. Okay. As I say, he didn't preach at me. Okay. He, 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 he yeah. was a, a drug counselor. Yeah, so these are the choices. So carry on doing this. Yeah. What's going to happen? And and if if you if you carry on the way you're going, yeah. you've already been told by a doctor where I'd end up. Yeah. I knew myself um, because of my depression. I knew that I would either be successful at taking my life, uh, and and I knew quite a few of the guys that were chasing me. So I knew they would eventually get me. So the choice was life or death. Goodness me. And um, that was the moment I, I cried out to God. And I think there's something in most of us, regardless of where we are in life, when we're in a mess, people do cry out to God. I was in a mess. I cried out to God and uh, I've never been so grateful. Really? I'm Be reminded of the story of uh, General Schwarzkopf in the first Gulf War. Uh, he was the general that led the um, Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. Right. And uh, he was asked uh, some questions about soldiers and whatever. And he said, there are no atheists in foxholes. Yeah. In other words, when you're, when you're in a trench and you're fearing for your life, and you really are fearing for your life, yeah. you've got a choice. And he said, there are no people, no atheists in foxholes. Yeah. So, you, so that's interesting. So you were given that choice. You understood the choice that yeah. he was giving you and you said, I've got to do something about this. I was in that foxhole, like many soldiers would have been uh, facing death. Yeah. I was in that foxhole. Really? So death, as I say, I'm not exaggerating, was yeah. the only way I could see out for me. Yeah. So you called out to God and then he, in a sense, called out to you. Yeah, as I say, I, I wanted a sign or a voice or something, that didn't happen. But the peace that came over me, uh, I took my knife off. I used to have a 12-inch diver's knife strapped to my arm. I took the Alpha, threw it in a skip. Uh, I got a club hammer and smashed up my 38 gun, threw that over the railway sidings. I stopped my, stopped my drug addiction uh, that night. And uh, I knew that I had to make those drastic changes. And in one way, I suppose my training and my competition always helped me because that's the sort of person I was. I thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. You know, there's no half measures, uh, rightly or wrongly. Some people will say that's not always a good thing. But with me, that's the way it was. Uh, and I knew that I had to then find out more about the God I'd called on. You know, I didn't know really. Uh, I knew nothing about the Bible. I knew very little apart from a few stories I'd heard. Uh, the, the Christmas story, perhaps, and the Easter story, but that would have been about it. Really? Um, and then uh, this man that I'd seen, Vin Whiff in his name, he was uh, also a leader of a church in Essex, Ebbing Forest Community Church, which I started to go to. Uh, he and uh, a number of other people then started to introduce me uh, to the Bible and to Jesus. And as you did that... What started to happen? Well, this was in the February 
close on 20... Five years. 25 years, close on 25 years ago to this day. Yeah. So in, in, in February was when I cried out to God. Mm. Um, I started to go to church straight away. Mm. Um, I got baptised in April 1993. Mm. And, um, and then in June 1993 was the first time I actually spoke at church, telling people of my story. Uh, and, and, and I haven't stopped in the 25 years. My wife thinks that I speak for Great Britain now. I don't compete for them. Um, but it, it, isn't, it isn't that I like listening to my own voice, but I can't deny what has gone on in my life. Yeah. And these are the truths. Since that moment, since I called on God, I started to go to church, pray, read my Bible. My my heart that had been physically damaged was healed. My marriage had been blown apart. We got remarried in 1993. Oh. My wife and I and my son got baptised together. I have the love and respect of my children. I have now in my life everything that I need. There's plenty of things I want. There's nothing wrong in that, but I have everything I need. There are consequences for your actions. Yes. For sure. Yes. And um, my 40 years in the building industry, 30 years as a heavy competitor, has worn the joints away in my body. I've got two false knees. I've got a false hip. My drug addiction has damaged my heart but uh, that's being taken care of now by two wonderful Christian doctors. So, um, you know, I, I, I think I've got uh, a pretty good outcome considering all that I'd gone through. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I have everything that I need. So I can't deny what God has done in my life. No. I just can't. No, no. And I only sit here uh, because of him. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was going to ask you, you know, in what ways has God showed himself faithful to you? But actually, you've just answered that question. Well, you, many, many people know of the story about the footprints in the sand. Yeah. Uh, and they, they, I think the story goes, there's two sets of prints, then one set. And the man says, Lord, where was you? Well, when I look back on my life, there's only one set of prints. God's been carrying me. He carries me through everything. He carried me through, I believe, the good times of my life, even when I didn't know about him. Mm. I believe God gives you freedom in life. I think one of the beautiful things of our faith is the freedom of choice we have. Yep. And I had a good life. It then went badly wrong, drastically wrong. I believe God picked me up when I cried out to him. Mm. And uh, he has been faithful to me in the last 25 years. And I've got no doubt he's going to be mm. and hopefully give me another 25 years. Does God give you opportunities to speak to people who may be suffering with some addiction issues or problems? I mean, has the Lord opened up a ministry for you in that area? I um, am part of a small Christian organisation called Tough Talk. Yeah. Basically, we're a group of men that have all had what is best described as a Damascus Road experience, yep. where our lives have been changed dramatically yep. uh, by Jesus Christ. So we, and one of the things we do, and, and one of the things I really love doing, uh, is that we go into prisons. And uh, I used to demonstrate some powerlifting, now I can't, we've got a couple of the younger fellas, um, but we go into prisons, uh, and the same thing I, I say to the guys, look, I'm not here to patronise you or to talk down to you or to insult your intelligence. Certainly don't want to patronise you either. I just want to tell you about my life. Um, 
we explained that we're Christians, we run the, 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 a small charity. And um, I think if you're honest with people, again, without coming across, across patronising, and of course, when you do read the Bible and you read Jesus particularly, he never patronised anyone, he never talked down to anyone. It was always, um, he, he certainly told people what to do. He, he, he was no, it wasn't a soft message all the time. It was, it was tough love, but it was truthful yeah. and honest. And I think if you're like that with people, they accept it. So that's one of the things I love doing. Plus, we also work with the armed forces uh, and I enjoyed that as well. Uh, we was out in Germany last year with a, a group of guys that had just come back um, from Afghanistan and another group were going. And uh, we spoke, I think, to about 360 men. And, and the major that was there in charge, Colonel Major, Major Colonel? Anyway, I don't know his rank. He was quite high up. He, he said, I've, I've never heard the men so quiet. And all we told them was the truth. Yeah. This is where we were in our life. This is what we did. Yeah. We made mistakes, as we all do. Yeah. This is what happened. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it's my faith in Jesus that has made me the man I am today. Amazing. And I'm not perfect. Yeah. That's for sure. My wife would tell you that. So <laughs> would the kids. But I believe I have a strength now that I never had before. How did, how did you go down? With the, with the military, because I was in the forces myself for 25 years. Well, I have to say, um, th this particular meeting in Germany uh, last year was probably one of the most enjoyable that I've had, and one of the most humbling, because these were men. These weren't uh, rookies. These were veterans yeah. that had been Se through, seen some stuff. Seen some stuff. Um, a, a particular sergeant major, I remember coming up to me afterwards in tears. And, uh, yeah, he, he was a, a, a serious man. Uh, and he thanked us. So we, we got a standing ovation from them, which, which, was, which, was, which is quite phenomenal. Wonderful. And um, in all honesty, uh, as a group of men, uh, and, and certainly at times I get to share my faith, um, I'm now an AOG minister, by the way, so I get opportunities to speak elsewhere as well. I don't lead a church. Um, I only got that, that um, qualification because some prisons won't let anyone in but an ordained minister. Sure. And so I, that's, that's the only reason I got it. But I did also enjoy studying my Bible for it as well. That was good. From powerlifter to pastor. Pa powerlifting <laughs> to preacher. Yeah. And... Um, and uh, I, I enjoy just sharing with yeah, people yeah. because it, to me it's just so real. Yeah, fantastic. You know, the, 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 the Bible, Jesus. Yeah. Let's God. talk about the Bible because yeah. I, I want to move on to that because, of course, as an organisation, our, our heart is to do exactly what you're talking about is get people studying, reading the book, get their noses into the book. Yeah. It's a big book, you know. Yeah. Um, so first question, how important is that book to you and why? The, 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 the Word of God is everything to me, that's for sure. Um, I'm not a scholar or a theologian. I haven't studied and been to university or anything like that. I'm yeah. just an ordinary man. Yeah. Um, and in all honesty, I, I, I don't enjoy reading. I struggle to read unless it's actually given me some information. Yeah. I would read a work manual or I'd read a powerlifting manual. <laughs> um, but to read a book is difficult for me. 
Yeah. But and it's a big book. And, and it is a big book. There's a lot in there. And yeah. uh, and and then of course when you read the Old Testament, there's some big words and you know to just just to say some of them, you have to, it can be a tongue tester. But there is just something about it. And of recent uh, months, I've actually been reading uh, the New Testament more. I've been reading the four Gospels, trying to learn more about Jesus. And I, and I think the only way. Uh, to know and get closer to God is actually to read his word. Amen. And um, it, it's, it's, again, it's, it's logical and it's simple. I'm a simple man. I'm a logical man. Yeah. Um, I want to know more about Jesus Christ. I want to go be closer to him. So to do that, I need to read it. Yeah. Uh, and, and it is just the, the, there's people will make comments that the, Bible is the A to Z to life. It will lead you through, which is fine if they want to say that. People will say that it, it, it gives you all your grand. In to me, it is the word of God. Yeah. The Bible to me is God. And there's times when I read it and I read aloud. I read that aloud at home. Brilliant. Um, that's just the way I am. Brilliant. Um, I find, you'll, you'll retain it more yeah, than you do. I, I find it a little bit easier but there's times as if there's another voice and I, and I just love it so much. So um, I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want to sound um, uh, more righteous than anyone else, but I do read my Bible every day yeah. uh, and, and I'll read it twice a day. Yeah. Um, I carry a small one in my pocket and I just dip into the Psalms during the day if I can. Yeah. Um, it's, it is everything to me. Yeah. I am so thrilled to hear that, um, that you have borne witness to the, the value of that book um, and that is the word of God and that uh, if we want to know God, then he has revealed himself to us in the book. Yeah. And of course, Jesus is God yeah. as a man and therefore, how do we get to know Jesus? Yeah. Then we find out in the yeah. book. And I also love what you said earlier on about, you know, when you look at how Jesus dealt with people of all ages and yeah. you know from the priests and the, and the you know the, the religious leaders of the day in fact he had his harshest comments for the religious leaders of the yeah because oh, they, yeah. they were hypocrites yeah they were hypocrites yeah um and yet you, you you look at how he dealt with um with individuals you know healings and and stepping aside to to care for individuals um, I challenge anybody to check out Jesus. Yeah. You know, check out well, Jesus. Also, I, I think one of the other interesting things when you do read the, the the Gospels, the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you know, Jesus was speaking as a young man. He was speaking as a boy, you know, and um, it must have been fascinating, you know, and, and also frightening for a lot of these religious men when this young boy's turned up. I mean, he was only 30 whatever he was, yeah. 32, 33, so, when he yeah. got crucified. Yeah. Well, he spent a few years um, still going round, speaking and teaching. Um, it must have been phenomenal to, to, to listen to that. And again, we can't go back in time for sure. Uh, I don't particularly think I want to, but <laughs> his word is there. And, and, the, and then you also then have to make, in my opinion, of course, this is, a, a conscious decision to say, you know what, I'm going to accept the reality of this because you can read it and dismiss it. Yes. Or you can read it, take it in, 
but make that conscious effort to go deeper with it. Think about it. Meditate is a, is a difficult word to use, but you do I have to meditate on the word. You yeah. have to sit, sure, sure read it, read it out. Yeah. Um, I don't go and look too much at commentaries, yep. to be honest. Yep. Um, there is a part of me that thinks perhaps there's too many books written in the Christian world <laughs> that tell you about this, this, this and this. And a few times when people have said to me, oh, I'm reading this book, I'm reading that book, I'm reading this book. And I'm saying, well, have you read the gospel have today? I'm reading the book. <laughs> you know, um, and I'm not saying that they're wrong yeah. for sure. Yeah. There's some fantastic people out there writing some fantastic stuff. But yeah. for me, it's just, well, it is, it is really just well, everything. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, as a ministry, we are encouraging people to get into the book. Yeah. And we're giving them the skills to do that, the yeah. tools to do that, the yeah. book. Yeah. Um, we talk about inductive Bible study and our definition of that is we go to the book first. It's yeah. so easy to go to a commentary first yeah. or what other people are saying yeah. rather than say you go to the book yeah. and with the Holy Spirit yeah. you can sit down and God himself can yeah. teach you from the book. There's yeah. nothing like getting it yeah. direct from him, is yeah. there? Yeah. Um, when when I first become a Christian and, and I first went to church, um, this particular man I told you about, this drug counsellor, I've been with him, within his name was, he was one of the elders at the church. Um, he said to me, um, read John. So I read the book of John. That was the first one I read. Um, and then I read um, Acts and Romans, the early church and what went on then. Uh, and then I read the rest of the free gospels, yeah. learning more about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and then I went back, obviously, to Genesis and Exodus, and I started reading about the creation. Um, it's just wonderful. And what I, I, I love so much is that I'm thinking, well, it's all there, isn't it? You know, I haven't really got to try and think, um, and it doesn't make me uh, doesn't make me a sheep. It doesn't make me a, a pushover in any way about life. But it is all there for me, and it is such a relief when I read it. Um, the, the 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 trials that people have gone through, and of course, when you read it, you can understand what God has gone through as a father. You know, He created heaven and earth. And we turn our backs on it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of problems today. There's in the in the world, mm -hmm. you know, um, and we know the answer to everyone's problem is Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to happen. We know that. Mm -hmm. um, but we, as Christians, we as true believers and followers, need to get deeper and stronger in that word, yeah. because I think the liberalism that's going on, especially within the church, I've seen in the 25 years, is making it. Very, very weak. Yeah. And the word of God is not weak. It is powerful, all-powerful. That is why people struggle sometimes. Yeah. Amen. And when I read it at times, I think, you know what? He's written this for me. <laughs> you know? And it's hard. You know, when, 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 and I, was, I was only reading uh, this morning um, a, a simple parable. Everyone knows it about the sower. And I thought, you know, that's my life. There's times when... I, I am walking on very shallow ground and, and, and things start slipping away and then you've got to go back into the word, start reading. And my wife has said categorically, she says, I know when you are reading your Bible more in depth from everything you are and everything you say. And I'm not 
I don't think, as I say, I'm a particularly bad man or anything like that, but there is something because the word then starts to become living in you. Praise the Lord. Do you have a favourite Bible book of the 66 books? In the book? Is there a particular one that you think, you know what, that's for me? Or Well, well, I, I suppose really for me it, it, it would have to probably be Psalms oh, really? only because I can go into it so easily. Yep. Um, um, but I do particularly like the Gospels. I just find it fascinating how this carpenter just... Yeah, just lived. So the, all, all the Gospels are good to me. And you were a carpenter. And I was a carpenter, but I think that's about as close as I'm going to get. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be more. But, yeah. but there will be yeah. some things that you do or have done as a carpenter. You think, you know what, Jesus probably did that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Handling wood and doing all that stuff. Yeah. Amazing. Well, it, what, what, I, what strikes me is that the fact that it, he was real. He was a carpenter. He was a man. Yeah. He, he, he did a job. Yeah. You know, there's God that comes on earth to serve you and me, and we don't deserve that, that's for sure. And he comes and he just works away. He doesn't come with a trumpet call or a big army, as we know. He came just to serve and to lead men. And I just find it, I just find his, his life fascinating. Yeah. Brilliant. So your favourite Bible book is the Psalms, uh, but you also love the Gospels. Um, favourite Bible character? I'm guessing that's going to have to be Jesus, but I don't. Well, of course, of course, I've got, I've got to say Jesus is 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 the favourite one, isn't it? You know for sure. Um, I love Paul, things he went through. Again, um, you, I, I, I can resonate with him a little yeah. bit, having this Damascus Road experience. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Obviously, he was a persecutor of the word. He was. Um, but I think all of us, in a way, if we turn our backs, we are persecuting the word of Jesus. Yeah. We are persecuting Jesus. So Paul's great. And, of course, what I also like about Paul as a man, he writes, um, uh, and this is only me paraphrasing it, he, he would say, um, I still make mistakes. I still do things that I shouldn't, the things I should, I don't. But the difference is, yeah. but the difference is, I no longer do it intentionally. Mm. I no longer go out to sin intentionally, mm. and that gives me a lot of comfort because it's 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 the same with me. I no longer intend. I don't want to hurt. Um, I don't want to uh, steal, uh, take drugs, or do these horrible things. But we do know we make mistakes. Yeah. Sometimes we just raise our voice a little bit too hard. And, of course, the ones we do that with are the ones we're closest to. Um, we're in process. But, yeah, we are. But, of course, we are human, and that is great. Um, but with God and with Jesus and with reading his word, we know, I know anyway, I can get over it. Awesome. And get through it. Do you have a favourite Bible verse? There are many. Psalm 27 is particularly favourite. Um, it was given actually to my wife and it was given to her while we were apart or as we were starting to get together. So Psalm 27 is very close to me. Um, my daughter then also gave me um, uh, 1 Timothy 1, 12, 16. And um, she gave me that at my baptism. Uh, and it goes something like, I thank Christ Jesus who considered me faithful and appointed me to his service, although I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. And, and again, it, 
I, it, it's sort of not that I want to put myself along even the Apostle Paul, but, you know, again, there was a man that made mistakes. But because of that and because of his ignorance and because of my ignorance, and I knew nothing about Jesus, he just poured his love and his grace upon me. So there's two bits that are favourite to me. Awesome. I'm just going to read that. 1 Timothy 1, um, 12. Yeah, 12, thank, 16. Thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, which he clearly has in your case, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. But I received mercy, this is verse 16, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. What amazing yeah. verses. I, I would have that on my tombstone, I think. <laughs> because, it, it, I mean, even as, as you've read it there, it makes my heart beat faster. It, it's, that is so true. So true. And, and, and that's exactly what happened in, in, in my life. Yeah. You know, he, he considered me uh, faithful. Um, as, as I say, I, I don't lead a church um, and I don't um, lead a, a big Christian charity. Um, but I still go out uh, and, and I speak to a, s a small group of 10. I've spoken to, I've spoken in Manchester City Football Stadium to 40,000 people. You know, I've spoken to um, the president of Uganda. Uh, I've spoken to the Russian government. You know, it's, it's just been amazing of, of, of what's gone on in the 25 years that I've been a Christian and uh, and. Uh, Things that you would never have done. I would never have done it. I would never have dreamed of, of doing it. But just to share. But on all of those, it's always been my testimony of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Yeah. It's not just telling a story. I don't just want to tell a story about my life. Yeah. It bores me to tears in lots of ways. Mm. I've said it a million times. Sure. But I can't deny what Jesus Christ has done in my life. I can't deny that particular verse that you just read. Mm. Uh, and so I enjoy sharing that with people. Yeah, because it's uh, going to encourage them. And, and uh, as I say, in, in Uganda, I gave the uh, president there, who's still in power, by the way, I gave him a Bible and a New Testament. Oh. I gave him a book. I gave him a DVD of, of the work I was involved in. Um, in, in Russia, we, I spoke to the parliament there with two other guys from Liverpool. Um, <laughs> And we spoke about forgiveness, uh, which was very difficult for the Russians at the time uh, and probably still is, but we could only share what God had done in our lives, how he had forgiven us and had he, what, had he not forgiven me. But he chose to, chose to because I acted in ignorance. You acted in ignorance, yeah, amazing. Uh, now, you've written a book um, called The Power and the Glory, yeah. the remarkable true story of a four-time world powerlifting champion i would um i haven't read it but clearly i've heard some of your story today um but for those of you that want to go into a little bit more detail about arthur and his incredible testimony and uh then you can get this i'm sure on amazon i would imagine yeah the power and the glory by arthur white and martin saunders yeah there's, um, there's also um two books written 
for Tough Talk. So if people want to look up the on the internet, look up Tough Talk. And there's my book on there. There's the other guys at the team. There's their stories on there as well. So that, that would be another way of finding out what we do as well. What would you want, what would please you um, to happen as a result of our discussion today when people listen in? Well, when, when I speak in the prisons and uh, when I speak generally, um, I, I just hope people that are in a dark place or have made mistakes and can't see their way out, that they would just think about where they are to hear that there is another way in life, that it isn't a case of you just kissing your brains goodbye uh, when you do become a Christian. It actually gives you so much strength. And what I've also found as a Christian is that I have met some wonderful, wonderful Christian people, men and women, that don't patronise you, that don't talk down to you, that encourage you and love you. And, and I just hope people, especially if they are in a dark place, to call on God, do what I did. <laughs> if that is difficult, go and speak to someone. Go and find a church. Go and find that there, there, there's so many lovely churches about so many lovely people, uh, and and then start reading the Bible. Start investigating Jesus. Yeah. Um, it's the best thing that has ever happened to me. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm a father. Um, I, I'm, a, a, I'm I've been an international powerlifter. They played the national anthem for me more than once. Um, but nothing, nothing really has given me the buzz and the life that I've got. And of course, when I read the Bible more and more and more, it's as if I'm getting more life. So it's, it is my lifeline. And I just hope that from this, people will think about their lives and want to investigate Jesus Christ more. Arthur, it really has been a privilege to spend this time with you. And, Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank for you for asking me. Sharing your story. God bless you. My pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to The Bible and Me podcast by Preset Ministries UK. If you enjoyed this episode, please click the subscribe button now and consider leaving us a rating or review. If you'd like to learn more about the ministry or make a donation, visit www.precept.org.uk or follow us on Facebook. Instagram and YouTube at PresetMin UK.